Welcome to GeoInteresting, presented by the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. From the ocean's depths to deep space and everything in between. Welcome to GeoInteresting, presented by the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Today on the show, we are joined by one of the most influential people in government and technology. He was a member of the inaugural class of the Presidential Innovation Fellows, where he served as an entrepreneur in residence, reimagining the role of technology in brokering the relationship between citizens and government. Before that, he was instrumental in drafting the President's Digital Strategy and Open Data Policy as a fellow in the office of the U.S. Chief Information Officer within the Executive Office of the President. He is the government evangelist at GitHub, the world's largest software development network. Welcome, Mr. Ben Balter. Thank you very much for having me. So one of the things you've said is that the government is the largest running open source project the world has ever seen. What do you mean by that? So when you think about the idea of open source, the idea of open source is that to come together to build a community around a shared challenge to solve a problem that we as individuals would not otherwise be able to solve. And without geeking out too much about political science and the Leviathan and Thomas Hobbes, that's essentially what government is, the idea of coming together to solve a problem. We've got lots of different branches. We've got lots of issues, definitely have lots of trolls. Um, but the idea is that everyone has the opportunity to contribute. Everyone has their own say. Um, and we're using it to solve a problem of, of how we organize society in a way that we would not be able to solve as individuals. Uh, and, and the fact that we all can see how it works, we can all contribute, um, really makes it more open um, than just kind of a traditional government. You've talked about why we use closed source. Some of the things you say is open source used to be hard, it used to be terrible. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, a lot of times, especially in government, when we think about open source, we remember open source of the 90s, of the early 2000s. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, I used open source then, and there were a lot of bad open source projects, especially compared to the dot-com bubble and the kind of proprietary counterparts at the time. Um, but the good news about open source is as open source has gained popularity, those projects have matured. If you look at uh, LibreOffice, the successor to OpenOffice, that's leaps and bounds over what it was you know, when I first looked at it. Um, but also, more importantly, the tooling has changed. Uh, if you look at how you contributed to the Linux kernel, a uh, large open source operating system, um, when it originally came out, to how you would contribute to an open source project today, um, like Ruby on Rails, the, the process is simplified and standardized, meaning you don't have to learn a process again, and the amount of meta work, the amount of friction, the amount of time it takes to get to the point where you can do the thing you want to do uh, is minimized. That if you've contributed to one open source project, uh, chances are you've contributed to another open source project, or you, you are able to contribute to another open source project, uh, which means that we get better open source over time. But one of the criticisms, or one of the things people say about open source, is it less secure? The idea that just because something is made public uh, is less secure um, is an idea we call security through obscurity. Uh, it's making the same argument that if you camouflage your front door, you don't need to lock it. Um, the idea behind open source is that you build a logically secure system. 
I'm going to build the most secure door in the world. But as long as I am the only one with the key, um, I know that I am the only one that can access that door. And the good news about that is that door is going to be installed in somebody else's front door, somebody else's back door, in cold weather, in warm weather. And it's that diversity of tests, that diversity of environments, uh, makes that a more secure project over time. So that by the time you know someone comes to my lock, knocking on my door, trying to break in, um, it's already been battle tested in lots of different environments and have already upstreamed those improvements so I have a better door as a result of it being open. So um, let's talk about a brief history of open government. We started with the closed government, FOIA moved us to a more open government, the current administration started publishing this information without request, kind of a, a push-pull model. Um, have I synthesized that, that well enough? <laughs> so how do we move to a collaborative government? What can we learn from open, the open source community that we can take back to government. You know, here's how the sausage is made, help me make it better. Uh, so think about open source not as a type of product or not as a, um, a specific you know, skew. Think of it as a workflow and as a philosophy. Developers know that uh, you know, if so much as a comma is off, the entire program comes crashing to a halt. And so we've developed these really, really great tooling over the past 10, 20 years uh, in order to con collaborate over distributed teams. Developers not in the same place at the same time, not working on the same thing at the same time, yet they build, they produce better results than their proprietary uh, or purpose-built counterparts. Um, and so if you look at that same kind of trend, open source, or, yeah, open source used to start where I'd email somebody and ask them for the code and they would send it back to me. Then we realized that people keep asking for the code and we moved to a place where we just proactively put the code online, an FTP server where you might be able to download a zip file of the, or a text file of the source code. Uh, and then we moved to a place because we realized people were having issues, people were submitting improvements, um, where we automated that process as well. And I think I, I, we're seeing that same kind of trend in terms of open government efforts. It used to be if you wanted some information from a government agency, you had to email them and ask for it. Then we had things like FOIA to standardize that process. And then we have the administration's open government efforts, which proactively put that out. And I think if you follow that logical progression, if you look at open government efforts as where open source was five or 10 years ago, the next logical step is then standardizing of the ability for citizens to contribute things back. Um, right now, if I'm, a government, uh, if I'm a citizen, I have a question about a piece of government data. Is this month, day, year, or year, month, day? What was this feet or is this you know, uh, yards? Um, I'm going to email the government agency. I'm going to email agency at, or data at agency.gov. And that's a one-on-one -on -one transaction, and that's not scalable. The agency is a single point of failure. So instead, if you take that lesson learned from open source and you answer that question in the public, even better if you ask that question in the public, there's nothing secretive about asking a question to clarify a public data set. Um, then all of a sudden, that question is not only answered for them, but as most consumers of modern technology know, if you have a problem, the first thing you do is you Google it. And the answer all of a sudden becomes Googleable, and it's no longer relying on the agency to answer the question one-off, but the community then becomes self-supporting. Um, let's talk about GitHub for a second. So NJ established an official organizational GitHub account a little over a year ago. This was thought to be the first time that an Intel agency had posted open source code to, to GitHub. At the time, you called the top-down buy-in from the director at the time uh, incredible. In that time, the agency has, has announced 10 projects, for instance, GeoQ. Can you tell me, in the past year, have you seen other government agencies, other Intel agencies, soften to the idea of posting uh, open source code? Yeah, so my role at GitHub is to have uh, these types of conversations. Talk with government agencies to make sure that when they take their first or second step into the world of open source, they're successful uh, and the community has a good experience. And oftentimes when I go to some of the more kind of secretive uh, agencies, at least from an outsider's perspective, the questions I'm asked is not how can we lock this down more, how can we make this more secure, um, but really we see the success of the open source community outside of government. Uh, we see the success of the open source community within government. Um, how can we open up more and emulate 
emulate that in our own efforts, both externally and internally, to take some of the ideas, the workflows, the philosophies of open source and bring them inside an agency, even if the code is never actually made public, um, to kind of to, to bring that in behind the firewall uh, and open source things behind the firewall, in air quotes, if you will, um, to break down the kind of traditional silos that we have in government where two developers or two project managers sitting literally 10 to 15 feet from each other uh, have no visibility into what are the other people are working on, while developers in the broader open source community uh, are working together halfway around the globe with, without any trouble whatsoever. So where do you see the government's relationship with GitHub in, in five years or in 10 years? Government started by using GitHub uh, for open source, a very geeky thing, right? Software development. You got a bunch of people in their basement with uh, Mountain Dew cans and, and Doritos crumbs all over the place. And that's awesome. That's the core of open source. And we're seeing lots and lots of really great open source projects, um, not only uh, with to engage the public, but also between agencies as well to kind of build something once and, and share it elsewhere. Um, but it, the, the idea of, of tracking who made what change when, um, having a, sh uh, a trusted repository model where anyone in the world can propose changes, but only the owner of that can, can uh, accept or reject them, uh, has far-reaching uh, value outside of just software. Uh, you, there's no reason you can't use that for data, uh, like some government agencies are doing, where all of a sudden you start treating data as code. You get issues, you get pull requests, you kind of get that pedigree of seeing changes to data over time, uh, especially in the regulatory complex. That has a really, really powerful impact because all of a sudden you can see not only where is this regulation today um, and what data informed that, how does that compare to five years ago to, to 10 years ago? Uh, and the last kind of on the, the last kind of aspect of that on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, going from geeky to wonky, uh, is using it for open policy, for open government. Um, so the White House has been doing this a lot with uh, FATARA, the IT Reform Act guidance, uh, with their HTTPS guidance for building uh, encrypted web-based services, um, with their playbook, playbook.cio.gov, for kind of playbooks for agencies to, to um, empower their CIOs. Uh, and all those things have, have, all those efforts have something in common, that rather than just being a PDF that's kind of published as a time capsule and set in, in, in stone, um, the agency, the White House views it as a living collaborative document that any member of the public, any government employee, uh, can not only see who made what change when over time and kind of see who what are influencing the policy, uh, but also just simply hit improve this document, make an edit, hit submit, and discuss it in the public rather than those conversations happening behind closed doors. I want to close with a, uh, a blog that you, uh, you posted late last month. Uh, everybody can read it at uh, ben.balter.com. Uh, the 19 reasons why technologists don't want to work at your government agency. Obviously, with a headline like that, I had to click on it. Um, some of these topics hit on improvements the NJ has been making over the past few years. Uh, can we run through some of these? Oh, please, by all means. You distrust your employees. Let's start with that. Uh, so the, the type of, of work environment that a developer needs is different from the type of work environment that other knowledge workers needs. Uh, if you're an attorney, you probably install Outlook and Microsoft Word uh, and maybe Adobe, and 99% of your work is done in those three programs. Uh, and so some sort of IT uh, you know, operator could set it and forget it, and, and you'll be set for your workflow for the rest of your, your career at that agency. Um, developers work a lot lower down in the system. They build libraries, they compile frameworks. Um, and if an agency doesn't trust the developer enough in order to empower them to accomplish that task, uh, in, in practicalities, we're talking about providing either some level of administrator access or at least an easy workflow to get those kind of administrative tools in place. Uh, as a developer myself, I, I, I need to do that on a daily basis just to kind of follow along with the things my company are doing. Uh, and so to, to provide that level of trust that says, look, we, we know that you are, you are an IT professional. We know that you probably know how software could possibly be exploited 
if given the opportunity, we're going to trust you um, not to do anything stupid. You probably maybe you have a completely unclassified laptop. You have access to the public internet. You're not going to get a you know a worm or something like that. That that a more traditional person that might be worried about from IT um, to give them the tools that they need to do their job to work on that lower level of the system. This is something that NGA is really uh, interested in, in right now. You measure your hiring process in months. Yeah, so as, as, uh, as being involved with the hiring process at GitHub, a, a private San Francisco-based company, um, it's complete 180. Um, prior to GitHub, my entire experience, uh, professional experience, was in, was in federal government. And there, it's you have uh, a 13-page personnel description, if you're, if you're on a short personnel description, that tells you what temperature you're going to be sitting in and how heavy the boxes are you might have to lift. Um, and it's a very rigorous process for very, very good reason. When you're recruiting technical talent, if there are choices between working at some hot San Francisco startup um, or working for the federal government, which increasingly developers are heeding that calling, heeding that sense of civic duty, uh, the, the kind of the cadence that, that San Francisco and the private sector works at could be days to weeks to, to maybe a month, right? From the time that you start the interview process to the time you get your first offer letter accepted, maybe even start working on the job. Uh, it's a fast-moving industry. Talent moves around a lot, uh, and you need to enable that. On the government side of things, that's not necessarily the case. And if I am a, a developer and I would really like to work for government, and the government says, okay, um, we know you're unemployed now. We can probably get you hired in, in six months. Or if another startup is actively recruiting me and, and trying to, to lure me in and say, we can have you start tomorrow. Um, granted, there's, there's a lot to be said for working in government, and I'd encourage anyone who's, who's willing to, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, that you should work for government. Um, but given kind of the practicalities of the situation, it's hard to, to hire the same kind of technical talent at the pace, at the speed, and at the scale that a lot of the private sector can. Another reason uh, why technologists, uh, according to Ben Balter, don't want to work for a government agency, and this one's interesting, um, and it, it goes to our, our discussion, working in the open is uh, a novelty and not best practice. You'd be hard-pressed to find a startup today that isn't in some way using open source, whether on the back end or, more importantly and more likely, contributing to it out in the open. You look at Twitter, uh, you look at Netflix, you look at Facebook, uh, you look at even large firms like Microsoft and SAP and IBM. Um, open source isn't the next big thing. Open source is already here. It's just the way that you do business. Um, oftentimes in government, we like to think that government IT is probably five to ten years behind the private sector. Uh, and that's very much the case with open source. I think we're probably on the, the shorter side of that. But we're still having the arguments for why open source is a viable option within government uh, and why it should be considered. And a lot of times when those efforts are put out, they're done through um, you know, public affairs offices or public affairs efforts, and the developers aren't necessarily as involved on a day-to-day -day basis as they would be in other organizations. Uh, whereas lots of organizations in the private sector and some of the more forward-thinking government agencies, I would definitely include NGA in that, um, and get involved with open source not because they like the headlines, not because they like the goodwill, uh, but because they know that that's the best way to build software, that they'll get a better software product as a result, and they wouldn't consider doing it any other way. One last, uh, one last point, and this also is interesting um, for something that NGA is working on and very interested in, is culture. The culture of a government agency uh, versus the culture of a startup. Can you talk more about that? One of the biggest things I realized going from one of the most bureaucratic organizations in the world, uh, the federal government, to one of the least bureaucratic organizations in the world, a kind of San Francisco startup, um, is the presumption is on yes rather than being an assumption of no. Uh, I like to say that if you can think of an organization uh, like, like a human, uh, like a body that has an immune system. Um, and just like your body, every time your body kind of experiences uh, an antibody that it doesn't, hasn't seen before, it starts attacking it. And the way organizations attack things is by saying no. 
Um, in the private sector, that's less so the case. Organizations are less risk averse. There's been less kind of learning over time because they're, they're younger. And so as a result, whereas in the federal government or in large organizations, not necessarily limited to federal government, hey guys, I got this crazy off the walls idea that's never been tried before. I'd like to you know, take, take a week or, or a couple days and hack on this. Um, chances are your first response in government is gonna be no. And even if it's not that crazy, if it's we wanna use Ruby on Rails, which the agency hasn't used before, or jQuery, or um, Drupal, or whatever the open source project might be, and a framework that the agency hasn't used before, it's presumed guilty until proved innocent. Uh, it's presumed that it's gonna be a security vulnerability, that it's a bad idea. Uh, whereas in the private sector, I, I, a lot of times I've experienced myself, hey guys, I got this crazy idea, and it's, dude, that's awesome, like that's a great idea, take a couple days, hack on it, let's see where it goes. Oh, you wanna try a new framework? That's really great that you're staying ahead of modern industry trends, like we really wanna constantly about, be evolving. Obviously there's a balance between them, we don't want, you know, the government when it builds building, I like to use this analogy, that the government when it builds building, if you look at the golden the, uh, uh, federal triangle downtown, they're big giant stone buildings. Startups don't build buildings that way and as a result can can move a little bit faster uh, but there has to be a happy balance between you know fly-by-night startup that's using the hottest greatest thing that might not be all that stable uh, and only using technologies that have been around for 10 20 30 years mr. Ben Balter the government evangelist at github I'm sure you can find him on, on Twitter um, Facebook everywhere you can find MySpace. MySpace, <laughs> everywhere Ben I really appreciate you, you talking to us and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon my pleasure thanks for having me